Hello everyone, this is the Lifetime Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Johnson. The Lifetime Podcast is the podcast that tells people stories. I've always had a fascination for telling other people's stories and telling just life stories in general that hopefully will build other people up, pique your interests. So this podcast personally piqued my interest because it is the Atlanta Falcons play-by-play announcer, Wes Durham. If you know me, this is similar to what I aspire to do when I grow up, and so it was really an amazing opportunity to be able to interview one of the upper echelons of the play-by-play field. So we really had a great conversation. We talked about how he got into his career, how his father is um, the late Woody Durham, how he impacted his life slash career, uh, because Woody was definitely a big influence on Wes's life. So it was really just a great time, a great interview. If you're interested in sports, interested in play-by-play, or just are looking for a good life story, this is definitely the podcast for you. If you want to listen back to some of our old episodes, you can. You can find those on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Stitcher, or the other one that I'm forgetting, Spotify. How could I forget Spotify? And, of course, if you want to help support, you can drop down into the link in the description and check out the merchandise that we have for you. Also, a huge thanks to Kicker97.7 for allowing us to use their studios. So, why don't we go ahead and shoot it on over there to the studio. Here is Wes Durham. So we're here with Wes Durham, the Atlanta Falcons play-by-play announcer. How's your day gone so far? I'm great, thank you. So, Wes, uh, for those people who maybe aren't from the football sports world who may be listening into this, what exactly is a play-by-play announcer? <laughs> well, um, it's been a long time since I've been asked to answer that one. Um, Basically, uh, my job is to, uh, when it's a radio broadcast for the Atlanta Falcons these days, uh, that's the only radio I'm really doing. Um, it's to uh, describe the action of a ball game from coaches to players to environment to uh, the basics, who, what, when, why, um, that type deal, and add some creativity, I guess you would say, or adjectives to describe the environment. You, you find yourself in radio describing a lot more because obviously it's an audio medium. When the, when I do one of my television broadcasts for the ACC network uh, of football or basketball, obviously the video element comprises a great deal of what we do, Matthew, but I would tell you that the uh, um, you know, the, those things are also a big team project as well. So the descriptions are a little different because you're providing uh, details that complement the video, uh, oftentimes, while also identifying players and telling stories in that light, too. So can you bring down for us real quick how you walk through a play? Um, I don't know that there's any one way that is, uh, you know, everybody's style is probably a little different. For me in a football game, uh, if it's a game on radio, uh, I traditionally have been an announcer that tries to set the field. Um, for instance, if the ball is at the, I'll, I'll usually uh, start a, a play by talking about where the ball is, um, what the down and distance are to the first down. Uh, I might add time and score if I feel like it's uh, it hadn't been given in a in the last couple of snaps because I think time and score is really important in a broadcast that has any link to it in sports because fans tune in and tune out, especially on radio these days. Um, 
So once I set the field, then I'll probably, the you know, once the ball is snapped, I simply describe the action. Now, for me, my preparation is based on personnel and knowing the names and numbers and that type of thing. So that's something that's pretty important to my preparation. So I try and commit as much of that as I can to memory. Um, and then once the play occurs, you describe the play. And then at some point when the play is over, if you're working with an analyst on radio, as I do with the Falcons, then what you're trying to do back backside of that is you're trying to um, you're trying to allow that analyst to tell you why that play was or was not successful, or whether it's your team or whether it's the opponent. So obviously, you have a really incredible job, one that's probably coveted by a huge amount of people. How or what was the process for getting the play-by-play job for the Atlanta Falcons? Oh well. Um, well, I had been in Atlanta nine years uh, working at Georgia Tech when the opportunity came up to do the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I've been doing Georgia Tech football and basketball on radio since I came from Nashville in 1995. And prior to that, I was doing Vanderbilt on radio, football and basketball. So I've, I've been very blessed in that I've been able to do what I've wanted to do most of my adult life. Um I, uh, you know, I was able to go to college and get a degree in mass communications and then, you know, start a professional career at Radford University in Virginia for three years and then one year at Marshall University in West Virginia. And then I was, you know, I've been very blessed in my career to, to have some unbelievable opportunities. And so in 1995, I went to Georgia Tech and then gradually, you know, uh, I guess, you know, became uh, became recognized in the Atlanta market for what I did. And then um, in the late 1990s, I actually had an opportunity to do the Atlanta Falcons preseason games on radio because their regular radio announcer was doing television preseason. And so um, the Falcon organization was aware of me. And when they had a radio change in 2004, uh, I was contacted and asked if I'd be interested in doing it. And I was. And fortunately, while I was working for Georgia Tech, I had unbelievable support from not only my athletic director at the time, but also the football and basketball coach and folks like that who were incredibly supportive of me having an opportunity to do the NFL on radio. And um, I left Georgia Tech in 2013 and went to television uh, for college football and college basketball at the ACC and still am able to do the Atlanta Falcons. And now I've gone to work for ESPN on the new ACC network and I'm very blessed to be doing the 16th year of the Falcons this year. So throughout all those years, I know that sometimes, especially in radio, any kind of broadcasting, a lot of people can sometimes have doubts about if this is the right field. Was there ever any kind of those doubts with you? I don't think so, Matthew. I I think that, you know, again, I, I decided at an early age that this is kind of what I wanted to do. Um, I was fortunate to play sports, but I wasn't very good. And also, you know, the greatest influence I've had in my life and in my career professionally was my dad. Um, my dad was an announcer and uh, was very successful. He was not only a radio announcer, but also a television sportscaster for many, many years and incredibly successful. And um, I was fortunate to grow up in an environment where I saw it done at a very high level and recognize the passion he had and the work ethic that he had. And, um, you know, and I saw it was a way to connect, stay connected to sports. And I think a lot of us in this business, you know, no matter what you do, 
you do it because you want to stay connected to the game. You want to stay connected to football or basketball or baseball or whatever the sport might be. And for me, that's what I saw. Um, I saw my dad, who was a you know member of a really good high school football team in the late 1950s in North Carolina. Um, you know, he went to school at Chapel Hill at the University of North Carolina and was able to have a career right out of college that was really kind of unprecedented at the time. And um, I caught a lot of that passion and enthusiasm and work ethic, like I said a minute ago, that he had, and it made a big impression on me. And so when I was 14 years old, basically, I, I kind of knew at least what I wanted to do, and that was to be in radio and television and potentially in sports. And, you know, he was a tremendous asset and influence to me and helped me understand what was good and what was bad. And he also encouraged me to get out and talk to a lot of people. And that was a that was a huge, huge uh, benefit to me because little did I realize that while my dad was great, these other people too could provide a different set of parameters and a different set of things to be, you know, learned and you know and i've tried to do the same thing and pay it forward no matter what the situation is um you know whether it's younger people like i spoke to a class of about 15 people last week when i was at syracuse i speak to every summer i'm involved in the national sports media association i think paying it forward in this industry is really really critical um after you've been able to achieve a degree of success so after all these years of doing play-by-play being involved in sports broadcasting what keeps you coming back? What do you enjoy about what you do? It's never the same game twice. It's never the same game twice. It's, um, you know, the preparation factor is is very similar each week, whether it's football or basketball. You go through the same process each week. Um, but the games themselves are always very different. And that's the one thing that, you know, keeps you coming back. That and the fact, to be honest with you, um, you know, God has given me an unbelievable outlet to meet people and connect with people through this. And, um, you know, I, I tell people all the time I work in sports, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the people that I meet, um, no matter really the role they have. I've been able to meet some successful business people and things like that. But at the same time, you know, we all have a connection over sports. And I feel very blessed that uh, that opportunity has been presented to me. And I don't mind travel. That's the other thing. You have to you have to embrace kind of the schedule if you want to do this for a long period of time and understand the schedule and the commitment it takes. And you also have to have the understanding of your family um, because it's not a normal job. It's it's you know, incredibly unorthodox. I mean, and I, again, I, I refer back to my dad because I had a great great childhood, but I also had a childhood that wasn't conventional at all. I mean, we had. I was telling this story the other day. We had about nine years and probably from the time I was seven till about the time I was 16 or 17 years old, where we only had Christmas on Christmas day about four or five times because of my dad's travel. And so that, you know, it's important that your family understand this is what you do for a living and it's not always convenient. And, you know, you're going to miss some things in life by doing this, but you're very fortunate to do something you love. And um, It's a bonus that they pay you because quite frankly, a lot of us, I think would do it for free if we had the chance. Do you ever feel like in all of your career that you had to surpass your father? Because I know your father was one of the greats. Did you ever feel like there was some kind of um, bar that you had to pass to get over your father? Or did you feel like you you set your own path? No, I, I didn't. I think my dad was incredibly beneficial to what I wanted to do. But we also had a great discussion at times about, 
you know, the preparation factor. And we, we spent a lot of time talking about industry, you know, techniques in the industry, get ready for a broadcast, the people you worked with, the type situations you had, um, you know, when you were, when you were working, um, you know, how did you get ready for a game? Who were you working with on that particular broadcast? And when I went to television, you know, right after he retired, it was one of those things where I thought, well, you know, here's, here's an opportunity to, to do something different that he might not be as well known for, but it was never about comparison or achieving or surpassing. Um, you know, my dad was my greatest inspiration still is even after he passed away, you know, a year and a half ago, I still feel like that I, I, you know, in, in many ways, I represent him every time I go on the air. And that's far more important to me than just about anything else I'm doing, to be honest. Do you remember the first game that you ever did play-by-play for? Um, yeah, the first time I ever did the whole game by myself was an Elon Lamar Ryan basketball game my sophomore year in college. Can you describe and what that experience was like for us? I was nervous. I mean, I was nervous. I was trying to do it the right way. I prepared like I was preparing for a semester exam. <laughs> um, and fortunately, Elon, where I was in school, won the game that night. Um, but I had the whole broadcast. I mean, I you know had the pregame and the um, postgame and all, all sorts of things that came into play. And so it was it was really important that at least I was comfortable with my preparation and. I prepared for my other games my freshman and sophomore year. Even though I wasn't doing play-by-play, I prepared for a lot of that like I was doing play-by-play. And I thought it was important that it have that kind of feel to it because that's what I ultimately wanted to do. So the preparation to do play-by-play was fine, but once I started calling the game, you know, there were changes I had to make even after the first broadcast. I had to, you know, there were some references to things that were happening during the game that I could say better. Uh, my English wasn't exactly correct uh, in terms of possessiveness in, in the English language. It's really important. English teachers, you know, my dad used to laugh about getting notes from English teachers. I got one when I was at Vanderbilt because I didn't understand the possess, the type of possession in the English language. Like when you refer to a school or a city, um, like for instance, I'll give you this as a quick example, Matthew, the, the, um, like when I do a Falcons game and I say Atlanta, like for instance, Atlanta starts the drive first and 10 at its 25-yard line. But if I say the Falcons, the Falcons start the drive at their 25-yard line. And a lot of people have said, you know, I've had actually teachers now that I've done it for so many years and I'm, I'm very conscientious of it. It's actually a habit for me that I've had English teachers come up and go, you're one of the few announcers I hear that says it the right way. Hmm. Well, that means a lot because that's something my dad and I talked about early on in my college career was making sure that as, as much as you possibly could, you structured the language correctly because that, you know, believe it or not, that's fairly distinctive. Um, sometimes, you know, um, adverbs, adjectives, things like that, you know, get twisted, those type deals. But at least you can have uh, you know proper possession in the sentence structure. So obviously a lot of that is preparation, even in how you're speaking languages or how you speak the English language. Um, what is the preparation for a game uh, that you go through? Oh, God. Um, let's see. It's a good question. It's a long, there's no short answer to it. Um, 
for me, it's it's really about research and it's about familiarity and and ultimately it's a comfort and a confidence. Um, the best analogy I can use for a general public is is that when you get ready to do a game, essentially you are taking an open book test in college. And if anyone's familiar with an open book test, either in high school or college, you're familiar with that they let you look through the material in order to complete the exam. But in order to complete the exam in a timely manner, you had to have familiarity with what the material already was. If you went in there blind and just threw open the book and started to answer the material, your your answers and your responses would not be uh, as comprehensive or complete as they could be if you'd prepared. Well, that's exactly what doing a broadcast is like. I mean, whether it's an NFL game or a college game, I go through basically the same practice. And that practice for me involves putting together charts and cards of uh, offensive stats, defensive stats, team stats, things like that. And then in addition, I create a board that's basically a spotter's card. It's an eight and a half by 11 uh, piece of paper, one side of it's the offensive depth chart, the other side's the defensive depth chart. And I do it for both teams. And I make a lot of notes and statistical information on there, along with some trends on the team or the unit, what happened in their last game, things of that nature. And, and those are the type of things that you have to, you have to be able to put together every week in order to uh, be consistent with your broadcast. And so in a nutshell, that's what I do. And then in basketball, it works the same way. You formulate a score sheet in basketball, which features all the names and height, weight, class, hometowns, that type thing of the players. And, you know, you put information about the team and about the coaches and the coaching staff, and you build that chart. And then you fill that chart in with uh, statistical information as it relates to the team and each player. And then you'll make notes about those particular players. For instance, there may be a player who scored 20 or more points in five of the last seven games. He might be shooting, you know, a superlative amount from the floor. Uh, another player might be struggling from three-point territory, what have you. And then, you know, you oftentimes find yourself putting in how those particular teams or those particular players situate themselves as it relates to conference standings, whether, like in my case with the ACC, you know, I'm – I'm doing North Carolina and Georgia Tech this weekend. Both teams are struggling in certain aspects. Carolina's doing some things better. Georgia Tech's not. You want to outline those, you know, that kind of thing. So you're basically trying to prepare for the flow of the game. Now, you have all that information, and yet really good announcers know, Matthew, you don't ever use it all. In fact, if you use two-thirds of it, you're probably lucky, Um you know, I've had Syracuse in my television package the last couple of weeks in football, and, you know, I had a completely different set of information from one week to the next and never came close to using maybe half to two-thirds of it. So, you know, that's a good indication of being prepared and, you know, a good indication that our crew was prepared because, you know, we're able to take storylines that we've talked about collectively and those carry us through a good bit of the ball game. Do you have a favorite sport um, to call? No, I feel blessed to do three that are very different. And people say, well, wait a second, you do college football and you do the NFL. How are they different? They're, they're much different games because the NFL plays itself in three hours um, just about every game. And college football is lucky to play inside three and a half hours. So um, I, do enjoy doing, uh, I do enjoy doing all of them. They're all very different. I don't know that I have a favorite one. Um, 
I just I kind of enjoy the environment. I can't imagine doing them. You know, for me, years ago, it used to be hard to do basketball early in the year and then do like a football bowl game after the regular season because it just seemed like you were kind of going back. Um, but now they all run together because of the way the calendar falls. And so uh, I enjoy them all very equally. I, I don't I don't know that I have a favorite. People say, what's your favorite sport? And I tell them golf because I like to play as much as I can in the off season. But <laughs> in terms of broadcasting, I enjoy each of them uh, just about the same amount. So like we were saying earlier, like you were saying earlier, you've done these college games, and of course now you do NFL as well. What to you is the difference between, I know you were talking a little bit there about the time, but what's the difference between calling, say, a college football game and then an Atlanta Falcons game? Well, when I was at Georgia Tech, it was a little different. It wasn't as drastic as it is now because usually when I'm doing a college game now on television, it's two teams of which I'm really just hoping for a good game because that would be better for our broadcast collectively. Um, you know, when I do a Falcons game, regardless of who the Falcons are playing, you know, obviously, you know, you want your team to win. But even if, you're, if your team doesn't win, you still want to have a very good broadcast. And that's, that's obviously our goal every time we go on the air is to, you know, make sure we deliver a high-quality product that, that people enjoy regardless if they're Falcon fans or not. And that's certainly, you know, we've been fortunate to do that now. This is 16 years that Dave Arch and I have worked together. So, you know, we feel like we've accomplished a, a good bit of that continuity. Um, you know, the, the difference in college football or college basketball on TV is that, you know, you're, you're dealing with a bigger team. And that's probably the one thing that people don't think about. In radio, it's the analyst and you and an engineer and, you know, that's that's about it, to be honest with you, Matthew. And then in television now, it's a, it's a whole big piece. Not only the on-air people you're familiar with, we have a football sideline analyst, we have uh, an analyst in the booth, and myself. We have a producer, director. We have anywhere from six to eight cameras. We have four people in tape uh, that handle replays and ISOs. We handle, uh, we have a, a graphics and Chiron, which, you know, put things on the screen to tell the score, the bug, I mean, which tells you time and score, um, you know, and also information that's that's pertinent to the game. And so that's a big team game. And you want to, as a member of that team, you want to do your job, but at the same time, you also want to make sure that everybody else and their strength are also showcased as well. So that's that's what I mean by, you know, it's time-consuming during the week to get yourself ready, but you're also, at the same time, you're going to have one or two conference calls during the week uh, that uh, relate to, um, you know, relate to the production itself, and it might be just storylines you want to investigate, or, you know, it could be a production call with an opposing team. It could be a production call. We have a two-hour production meeting on Friday nights before our Saturday game to make sure that, you know, we're seeing all the graphics, everything that they've built from a from a video standpoint or a graphic standpoint to make sure that we're ready to to it so we can complement the graphic or the graphic can complement us depending on, on how it falls during the game. After all these years, is the game day experience for you, do you feel like it's heightened, lessened the same um, as much as it would have been when you were a fan? Um, because I know that for some people, maybe being a part of the broadcast, seeing all all the things that go behind the scene, maybe it makes it not as interesting. What's that like for you now? Oh, I enjoy the games. I think the games make the work during the week worth it. Um, 
and to the extent that you're uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to deliver, you know, and I joke about this last week when I spoke with the group at Syracuse, you're, you're in search of the Holy Grail. You're trying to pitch the perfect game. And I don't know that that's out there. I mean, I, I think you, you can have that as a goal, and certainly it's one of mine. But, uh, you, know, you know, baseball, they have the perfect game. And in basketball or football, every play is perfect, you know. I think in I think in television and radio you're always searching for that, but it's also a thing where you uh, you kind of understand, you know, hey, look, I'm I'm going to give this a whirl, and every week is, and your team hopefully wins if you're representing a school or a team like I do, the Falcons. You know, some broadcasts are deemed better than others just because the team won, and uh, believe it or not, as an announcer, that's not always the case. Sometimes you have a great game and your team didn't win. Um. You know, and I think that happens, and you have to be able to process that within your own professional career as opposed to the overriding value of who you're broadcasting for, if that makes sense. When you get all these people, like you were talking about earlier, paying it forward, when you see all of these students, when you meet anyone who wants to do what you do, what do you usually say to them? What's your message to to those who want to become the next Atlanta Falcons play-by-play announcer? (laughs) Well, um, hopefully the job won't be available for a few years. That's the first thing you'd say. No, um, I think what you're trying to tell them or convey to them is this is an industry that can be incredibly rewarding. Um, you know, I've been very blessed to to have a pretty good career um, doing this, but I think at the same time you have to understand what kind of career it is, and that it's very unorthodox. I mean, I was telling you earlier about you know just the lifestyle you have to have. I think the second thing you also have to understand is is that this is a um, this is an industry that can be incredibly rewarding, but it also is very time consuming. Um, there's a lot of work that's going to go into it, and part of that work is going to involve you doing things um, that that may not be conventional. And so that's that's also understanding. And the other thing too is you have to get better. Um, you want to continue to get better and challenge yourself. That's one of the things I've tried to do is each year I want to try and improve on something maybe that I didn't do particularly well the, the year before. And it might be a minor detail, um, or it might be something that uh, for me is, is overriding. And it can be something in your preparation, can be something in the presentation. Um, I mean, it just it just really depends. And so – um, I think you've got to be honest with yourself about when you're, you know, when you need to do that, and honest with yourself about when you think you can achieve something at the next level too. So I'm always interested to know this from any kind of broadcaster. Have you ever had any kind of a? I know there are little slip ups sometimes, but have you ever had any kind of a mess up while you're on air? And if so, how do you try to recover from those? Um. I think well if you if you you know botch a description that's one thing um mispronounce a name yeah that's unfortunate um and you hope that you get all the names correct too and that's you know that's something that you spend more time on than people would think um you know in your name and, and memorization of name and number it can be you know it can be a little tricky i mean people don't people don't necessarily think about it but you know more and more we become a, you know, there's, there's a lot of different nationalities and ethnicities represented in our culture these days, in our society. So, 
names are not as uh, it's not Smith Jones Davis you know those type things anymore. There's there's a lot more to it, and so um, you know when we do a football game, more often than not, we'll have a player of of some sort of you know ethnicity that is not you know conventional to the United States. I mean, it may be a Polynesian player, it may be someone who's uh, you know, French. I mean, it doesn't matter. They're they're everywhere. I mean. Australian now. I mean, it's it's quite remarkable. Um, so you're always trying to pronounce names correctly. That's that's always a, a common ground objective every week. The the second thing you have to remember is if you mess up something, it's there's a level of it. In other words, if I mispronounce a name or I misspeak on an identification of a player, is it because the numbers were not what I thought they were? Like if I look across the field, and I think it's 26, and the design on these jerseys, believe it or not sometimes now make the numbers harder to read than they've ever been. So if I see 26 or 25, well, I say it's 26, and it actually turns out to be 25, well, I need to correct that on the air. And you just say, you know, in my case, I tend to say, well, I beg your pardon, it was, you know, Smith, not Jones. So, and I'll say, I thought it was 26, and it turned out to be number 25. Because the one thing I've always tried to do, Matthew, in my broadcast is be transparent. If I mess it up, I'm going to tell you I messed it up, and here's why type thing. The other thing that I think you have to remember is is that you know when you're trying to when you're trying to be solid in your presentation, um, sometimes things are going to happen that are beyond your control, and you're still the front man for that. And so you have to relay to the listener what exactly has happened, and that's a that's an important aspect of it as well. So you were talking about the mispronunci- or the potential mispronunciation of names. Um, I know I've done a starting lineup for basketball here in uh, some rural parts of Alabama. Some uh, some of those rural teams have come in, and I think the weirdest one I've had was Sean Dessa. So I've, I'm, I'm wondering, what is the weirdest name that you've had to pronounce? <laughs> um, well, there's a tight end in the NFL who is, um, and I can't spell it, but I can pronounce it. Michael Ho O Manawana Nui. Oh wow, that's that's oh. about the toughest one. Yeah, I I, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, um, and he caught passes, and he he catches the ball. So if he catches the ball, he's in play for you. Now, you know, if people say, well, you know, there's there's an offensive line, and those I mean, but there's there are players on every team. I mean, you know. The Falcons have a running back, uh, Cadre Allison, which is spelled Q-A-D-R-E-E-O-L-L-I-S-O-N. Well, it's not Olison, and it's not Quadri, it's Cadre Allison. And that's and in cases like that, you're actually asking the young man to pronounce his name for you, because I think that's important too. And you'd, you'd be surprised the number of schools now that are doing that at the, at the, even the NFL level, they're doing it as well. So and they actually list it on their website, and they'll have a button you click, and, and the young man pronounces his name. But, yeah, I've done that a lot. In fact, Syracuse has a defensive end that's spelled A-L-T-O-N, and some people call him Alton Robinson, and it's Alton Robinson is the way he prefers for it to be pronounced. So hmm. you're certainly respectful of the way he would like to have it pronounced, and that's important to not only the young man or the person playing, but it's also important to the school as well. And your broadcast, because, again, Accuracy is a big part of being credible. 
So you were talking earlier about the perfect game, and before we go, I'd really love to know, what is West Durham's perfect game in your mind? Um, I don't know that there's a perfect game. I mean, again, I think we're chasing it. Um, you know, the perfect game, you, you probably you want to get there, but you don't know if you can. Um, and it may be a mental, um, <laughs> I jokingly use the phrase sometimes, mental gymnastics. The perfect game may be mental gymnastics. But I think what you see is, is it a game that ends up in, you know, now for television, you know, I would, I would look at a last second shot, two high competitive teams. Um, you know, I, I would think the perfect game would involve great play at both ends by both teams. Um, and a last second shot defines it. That would be a perfect game, but the perfect game from a broadcasting perspective includes, you know, clean graphics, clean video, clean audio, um, you know, perfect uh, mechanics in terms of the way the game is presented by the announcers. Um, you know, and that's why I say it may not be there, but I can I can tell you that I do believe that there are a lot of times you can get close. And uh, there have been a handful where I felt like I was pretty close, for sure. Well, one more question before I let you go. You've been really generous with your time, and I thank you for that. Um what do you think is the favorite game so far that you've called? Oh, gosh. Um, let's see. Um, I would say the NFC Championship game a couple of years ago, the final game in the Georgia Dome between the Falcons and Packers was pretty good. Um, that, was a, that was one of the few times I felt like it could be the perfect game. It was close. Now, the Falcons won convincingly. But we had big plays. We had a really good broadcast, really good post game. I mean, it was really from stem to stern. It was it was a really really good broadcast, and appropriately so because it sent Atlanta to the Super Bowl. Um, there was a 2005 Georgia Tech football game at the Orange Bowl in Miami when Calvin Johnson was still playing for Georgia Tech, where they beat um, Miami, who was number two in the country, on a Saturday night and when they won the game, you know, he had, Calvin Johnson had a remarkable performance, but the game was, um, the game was uh, clinched on an interception in the end zone at the end by a young man named Dennis Davis. Um, I felt like that broadcast was pretty close. Um, and then probably the, uh, those are the two that come to mind. Um, I did an ACC basketball tournament semifinal um, a couple of years ago, right after my dad passed away, my dad had passed away on um, Tuesday night about midnight. And two days later, I did a ACC basketball tournament semifinal between Carolina and Duke um, for Raycom Sports, and that was that was a pretty good broadcast. That was a that was a great team effort across the board. And this year, I did a Carolina Duke semifinal in Charlotte for Raycom. And we had a phenomenal game, and it was a high level. It was a high level broadcast. It was, in fact, it's as it's as good a broadcast as I think I've been a part of in my television career, which is now just about seven years old. All righty. Well, again, this has been West Durham, the voice of the Atlanta Falcons, play by play, and of course, working with the ACC Network. Um, again. 
Huge thanks for you for coming on. It's really been an honor to be able to spend this half hour talking with you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. All right. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day.